0: Good morning. This is the Real Estate for Breakfast Podcast, and I am your host, Philip Coover of Clark Hill PLC. The Real Estate for Breakfast Podcast is a Chicago-centric commercial real estate podcast which presents real estate professionals and attorneys to create thoughtful commentary on current real estate issues, explanations of sophisticated real estate problems, current developments, and entertaining discussion. This podcast is a mixture of the real estate business and law. So there's two things I want to note about that introduction right there. The first is that you'll note that I'm with a new firm. So. As you know, Philip Coover, that's me. I've been the host of the Real Estate for Breakfast podcast, and I've transitioned over to Clark Hill, which is a national law firm uh, with 25 offices across the United States, Mexico, and Ireland. And it is... uh, since it is a national law firm. The other thing I wanted to mention is, while this is a Chicago-centric podcast, because that's what I know and that's where I'm based, this will also be a national platform. And a great example of the national platform is that we have here today is our guest, Tom McGee, the President and CEO of ICSE. Before we talk about Tom, I just wanted to mention more about Clark Hill. There'll be more to follow as I talk about my transition and what Clark Hill has to offer, but Clark Hill is a multidisciplinary international law firm that draws on attorneys' comprehensive in- industry and policy knowledge and a global network of industry advisors and subject matter authorities to provide innovative legal solutions and client service excellence worldwide. Our real estate team has over 45 attorneys and professionals. So you have this really deep bench and uh, amazing amount of services and really high qualified people in all different aspects of real estate. And you have over 600 fellow attorneys and a dozen other practice groups. This this is a full service law firm that can really handle anything for anybody. Um, Today, we have Tom McGee, as I mentioned, the president and CEO of ICSC. We recorded this live from Las Vegas, the Recon Convention Center. If you don't know about Recon, it is a enormous real estate conference. It's geared around retail real estate, but there's all sorts of, there's bankers, there's lenders, there's people buying multifamily houses. There's all sorts of people. It's a great place for people to gather and to see what everyone's working on and to put deals together. So we figured let's try to grab the president of ICSC and see what he has to say about the current real estate industry, uh, retail in particular, and we got that opportunity. He actually was kind of funny. He introduced Damon John, uh, the shark at Shark Tank and the founder of FUBU to 700 people and then gave a speech about the real estate industry. And then 1.5 hours later, he got to sit down uh, with us for the podcast. We recorded the podcast right in the convention center. So we're bringing it straight to you, the listener. Uh, as I know, a lot of my listeners either A, weren't able to attend the conference or B, they were there, but they're out there hustling on the floor making deals on the floor. So they didn't get to hear the the speeches that were being made. So I wanted to bring this straight to you, Uh, my listeners, which I'll continue to do. I'm very excited about this national platform because we have some fantastic guests lined up that will be great for you, uh, the listener. And we have one coming next week. That's uh, so exciting. I don't even want to jinx it by mentioning who it might be. So more to follow on that later. But for now, I want to give you president and CEO of ICSC, Tom McGee. Thanks so much. If you want to get in touch with me, I have a new email address. It's pcoover, P-C-O-O-V-E-R at clarkhill.com. And you can always find us on our website, www.realestatebreakfast.com. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Good morning. This is Real Estate for Breakfast podcast. I'm your host, Philip Coover of Clark Hill PLC. Today we have a very special guest at a very special location. We have Tom McGee, the president and the CEO of ICSC. Tom, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Phil. Yeah, so we're here at the, the belly of the beast in the crow's nest of Central <laughs> Hall of ICSC. So if you hear a hum of noise outside, it's people, it's energy and chatter in and, and all of our uh, attendees. Um, Tom, if you could just start with a little bit of an overview of
1: the conference itself for those who can't be with us. So, Recon is ICC's signature event. Um, It's been held for decades, uh, and it's grown to uh, about 37,000 people will be in attendance this year. Um, Fundamentally, folks come here to network and do deals. I mean, this is a deal-making conference, and so... Um, landlords, developers, service providers, retailers, tenants of all uh, kinds come together in Las Vegas to talk about you know their leasing plans for the forthcoming year, uh, leasing needs, openings, developments, etc. Uh, it is as I said it's the crown jewel of our uh, program portfolio but we also have deal-making conferences throughout the course of the year in regional locations as well, and so we have 14 other deal-making conferences here in the United States, as well as a conference in China, a conference in Europe, a conference in Latin America, uh, and a conference in Asia Pacific as well. And you know, ICSC is the organization that represents the retail real estate industry, uh, and a big part of our value proposition is bringing people together, as well as you know, obviously sharing uh, information about the health of the industry the trends that are taking place in the industry. Uh, We do a lot of public relations and conversations with folks like yourself, and then uh, do uh, a lot of advocacy work on behalf of the industry in Washington, D.C. and other parts of of the United States and in Europe.
0: Fantastic. How many people do we have with us here at the convention?
1: Uh, So our expectation, um, you know, we don't have the final numbers yet uh, because we do get a surprisingly, we do get a large number of walk-ins on the last couple days. But our trend is to be very consistent with last year um, leading into this. So my expectation would be somewhere in the neighborhood of 37,000 people.
0: That is unbelievable. My father-in-law is a broker in Michigan. was saying he's been coming to this conference
1: since the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. uh, he might have gone to it back when it was, in, uh, it was uh, in New Orleans initially. And then I'm not sure exactly the date. Certainly well predates my years, but um, they moved it to Vegas. And obviously, you know, being uh, the template that's here in the size of the convention center, it allowed us to grow to this space. And fundamentally, as you can see, you know, looking around, we pretty much take over the entire Las Vegas Convention Center as well as
0: the Westgate Hotel. Yeah, it is the biggest uh, event I've ever been to. And it is just full of people and energy out there. And I would imagine there's a lot of people outside the conference as well that are here for the ancillary events. Do you have any kind of gauge on how many people Well, I
1: mean, uh, the folks that are here, I mean, so to participate in recon, you need to actually register. So we try to make sure to respect, you know, the attendees. And so there's a level of fairness. And so if you're participating in recon, um, everyone should register and and have a badge. So that would be encompassed in that 37,000. So there's uh, (laughs) a... Uh, you know, outside of the deal making hours, is obviously the folks that are here go to a lot of you know, dinners and host uh, events and networking. Uh, our understanding, and this is unofficial, but based on the conversations we've had with you know the officials here in Las Vegas, this is it may not be the largest conference in, in absolute attendance. But it's certainly one of the most lucrative conferences they have in Las Vegas because of the demographics of our, you know, attendee and they tend to entertain a lot. And the senior executives we have, you know, I don't know the exact number, but multiple thousands of C-level, CEO-level, you know, folks here in attendance.
0: Yeah, and I think it's a mistake for some of the people to miss it. I get so invigorated just being here and just being around, and I'm an attorney and a real estate attorney and so I'm a service provider. So I may not be putting the deals together in the same kind of ways that some of the landlords and brokers are and tenants here. But I just find it invigorating just to walk around and see what the amazing things that all of our attendees are doing and all the creativity and the energy and everything that's going on and look at the the models of the
1: developments that are being
0: built. I just I find it
1: well. There's a tremendous amount. I mean, you can't walk the halls and not feel a level of energy. I mean, there's just electricity out there, and it's just as you said when we started the buzz that you know exists from you know people excited. I mean, you know they're here doing deals, and you know what what's the deal? The deal is kind of an optimistic bet on the future, right? I mean, I'm making an expectation that something positive is going to happen, and we're going to enter into. Uh, an arrangement together and so I think you just feel that when you walk around here because you got 37,000 people here to do business and that's um, that is electrifying yeah, even for me and I've been to Recon many many times I, I do get um, energized being here
0: Absolutely and speaking of uh, a deal being a bet on the future I just had the pleasure of witnessing your talk at the, with the keynote speaker Damon John two yeah. hours ago so it's been quite a drop off for you in two hours ago from shaking <laughs> Damon John's hand to being in a room with me, but I, I appreciate you squeezing Not at in all. today. Not at all. Um, but you had a really, really interesting presentation. I enjoyed it. Can you talk a little bit about um, some of the statistics and some of the growth we've had in brick and mortar as compared to the online sales?
1: Yes, yeah, sh- sure. So I mean, one of the things that I like to do is, you know, just provide context as to where the market really is. Um, and, you know, what we do is we sit down with the U.S. Census Bureau and actually use government data and we work collaboratively with them to kind of disaggregate retail sales. And so what I think you're referring to is kind of the first slide that I presented, which is here's the you know U.S. retail uh, marketplace. And there's total U.S. retail sales in 2017 were about $5.1 trillion. If I also suggest, and I, and I think this is clearly true, is that if you looked at most retail centers across the United States, there's a lot more in those retail centers than just retail, right? There is food and beverage, and there's service providers and so forth. And so I showed that you take that 5.1 trillion and you add about another trillion dollars of sales related to those other things: entertainment, food and beverage, service providers. And you're really talking about about a six, you know, trillion dollar marketplace that sits in U.S. shopping centers. But obviously, there's a perception out there that that $5.1 trillion of retail sales is migrating significantly to the internet, into online. And in fact, that's not really true. Um, Clearly, and nothing I would say would be to suggest that there isn't, you know, growth in e-commerce. There clearly is. But... When you look at the vast majority of sales, not individual transactions, but sales dollars, aggregate dollars, by far, uh, they happen in a store. So about 87% of total retail sales happen in a store. Then you add about another 5% that are sales related to online sales that are related to brick and mortar retail. So the online sales of those physical retailers. Um, there's a, there's another 3% that's mail order, there's a couple percent that's shipping and handling, that's actually in the government's numbers and then what you're left with is 5% of actually U- US retail sales are online only retailers and for purposes of that analysis, you know, despite Amazon buying Whole Foods and so forth, we included them in the online only retail bucket and so while the press often says, hey, 13% of US you know, retail sales are online, that's just not factually true, it's that's, there's 13% of retail sales that aren't classically in a store, but there's a bunch of other stuff that make up that 13% delta. And then when you look at the actual aggregate growth in dollars, because the base is so big you know, of physical retail, I mean, it's actually the aggregate dollars of growth in physical retail over the last four years is about $400 billion dollars. Aggregate growth in online retail, and I don't have the numbers exactly in front of me, are about 125 billion dollars over that four-year time period. And actually, the aggregate growth in food and beverage, which I find the most fascinating because it really plays to I think the demographic changes that are happening in our country, is more than online growth. You know, it's about 130 billion dollars of growth in the food and beverage channel. And so, while the you know you would expect on a smaller base, the rates of growth would be higher online and and for that matter food and beverage than classic physical retail. The aggregate dollar growth is still smaller than, you know, physical retail growth. As a matter of fact in food and beverage there's been a million new jobs, you know, created in the food and beverage space over the last couple of years. And, you know, I think that speaks to the demographic changes that are happening um, you know that are kind of happening right now so you have baby boomers that are retiring and transitioning out of their prime consumption years are becoming empty nesters so they tend to go out to eat a lot more often uh, they downsize from their homes they move into city environments you know look uh, uh, move into Manhattan move into Chicago move into or some kind of urban density you know where they can live work and play kind of together And millennials, you know, they're pre kids, you know, pre marriage, pre home, Uh, and so what do you do when you're younger? You tend to live in a city or you live in a more dense environment and you go out to eat a lot. And so I think the numbers support what's really happening in the demographics. The demographics are driving that. Now when millennials you know, start getting married in droves and having kids and buying homes, I would suspect that you might see some other changes happening because they will likely, you know, might maybe move out to the suburbs because of schools and things of that nature. But right now, you know, those two major demographic groups that represent about 60% of the U.S. population are really driving, you know, major trends that are taking place. The other trend, obviously, technologies, you know, uh, enabling a lot of this. and. Well, we talk a lot about, you know, technology and the impact on retail as it relates to online commerce. And it's clearly is a big, you know, that is one of the big trends. I think technology is having a more pervasive impact than that. You You can pick up your smartphone and do a search on any product anytime and price compare and do reviews and so forth. And that clearly leads to um, an expectation on the consumer in regards to personalized experience because we're so accustomed to getting created information. Price transparency drives down prices, right? I mean, right. you know, your ability to pass on a price or cost to your customer is going to be diminished if your competitor and the consumer can see that price right online anytime they want isn't doing it for the same product. Well, that's going to, I think, create, you know, a cap on inflation, so.
0: Yeah, I think your comments on the demographics are really intriguing. I I, I saw you you mentioned that last year in your speech at ICSC, and the retail sector has to be bullish on millennials when they get into the thirty-year-old range and start having kids. I, yeah. As someone with two kids under three, I know my my expense budget has gone it's up changes, dramatically. Right? Uh, sure,
1: for and you start thinking about things differently, right? You, you know, when you have kids, you start thinking. Well, obviously, your consumption patterns change, right? Um, you may not go out to eat as much. Uh, you eat as a family at home. Um, you buy stuff for the kids. You got to buy clothes. They Lots grow of out of stuff. them very quickly. They grow out of their shoes very quickly. They start playing sports or dance or whatever, and so all of those types of things. And you start thinking about well, where do I want to live? You know, what schools do I want to go to? What communities do I want to live in? And then retail, because we're the ultimate consumer-facing industry, is going to migrate to where people are, and they're going to then curate whatever they offer to whatever the demographics of that community want. If you're you have a lot of baby boomers, older, retired, you're going to have certain retail offerings, you know, in that community. If you have a lot of young families, you're going to have certain retail offerings in that uh, community. And so I think that's, to me, that's the biggest thing that's happening at retail, is that we've had a massive transition from a baby boomer driven economy to my generation, which is the generation between baby boomers and, and um, millennials is smaller. Gen X is just smaller. I mean, just statistically, they're just not, it's not as big as baby boomers or millennials. And so you have less of us. Uh, and we're kind of in our prime consumption, so, although even I am starting to transition out of mine, because my kids are, you know, going to college and all that kind of stuff. And millennials, you know, depending upon how you define a millennial. The oldest millennial is 35, let's say. You know, you're born in 81, 82, 35, 36 years old. And they're just starting to have kids. And, I mean, that's the oldest millennial. So, And we know, factually, they get married later. They buy homes later. They have kids later. Those are just all facts. And so that's going to obviously have an impact on retail and what's offered in a retail center. I'm quite bullish on retail um, over the next decade plus, over the next two decades, because millennials are the biggest population group of human history. And wow. um, no matter how you, uh, whatever you think in regards to consumption patterns and channels of consumption, it's a lot of people that are going to enter into this big series of life events over the next two decades buying homes, getting married, having kids. Every study ever done shows those major events drive consumption. And that's all upon That's just starting to happen now. And I think that retail will benefit from it.
0: Yeah. And it seems to be that retail is really adapting. I think two years ago, the conversation centered around uh, online coming in and Amazon, and it was going to be brick and mortar versus electronic. And and something I've heard you talk about is Omni. Yeah. And if you could explain
1: to our listeners what Omni means and
0: yeah, and so Omni just on. means,
1: you know, all channels, basically. And so if you think about it in the classic sense, digital versus physical, if you say those are two channels. There's multiple LL sub-channels within each of those. But I think the old-school thought was, yeah, you're either going to buy it in a store or you're going to buy it online. And I think where we have moved as a society is that we live very seamlessly across digital and physical worlds, as retail being no different. And what we found is that um, online only retailers, first and foremost, have a very difficult time, um, you know, building their brand and reaching scale if they only stay online. Only. And so, as they grow, as they emerge, they want to open up stores. That's the way to build their brand. It's the most effective way to build a level of relationship with their customers. And so. You know, for example, one of the stats I showed in the, in um, the presentation today was VC funding and where does that, you know, where, where, how are they using their funding? And so those online only retailers that are uh, raising VC funding, you know, 70% of what they're raising, they're raising to, you know, open up stores, which I think would surprise a lot of people. And, you know, you look at a brand like Kentucky and, you know, that was, that's a classic digitally native. You know, right. brand who's growing very rapidly now, opening up stores, advertising on very you know traditional means and television. I'm a big golf guy. I watch the golf channel. I'm I'm sure I'm their you know target demographic, and so I see Untucket you know uh, commercials all the time. And so they're you know they realize to build their brand they need those stores, and then so that's on one end of the you know size spectrum. Then you know the other size the end of the size spectrum, Walmart. Biggest retailer in the world. What have they done? They've bought a lot of digital properties. They're moving to an yeah, omnichannel Benoldos, Right. Bonobos and others, you know, ModCloth. And then and then look at what Amazon's done. Not just the Whole Foods, you know, acquisition, which is clearly an acquisition of a physical retailer. And what what did people talk about? Well, they're going to leverage that physical retailer, you know, in the prime, their prime membership and so forth. But they also have relationships with Kohl's. And Sears, they've you know really expanded their relationship with Sears, so they're using that physical network of those retailers for the benefit of their consumers. And so, I think you're seeing a real convergence taking place for sure. Well, Tom, shifting
0: gears a little bit, can you, one major benefit of being a part of ICSC is to be a participant in this conference and being able to come to this conference yeah. and make deals. But can you tell us a little bit else about what ICSC is doing for its constituents?
1: Yeah, so ICSC, you know, we have an enormous research, you know, operation. So a lot of the statistics I just, you know, shared with you come from, you know, our research group. We provide a lot of data and analytics to our members as it relates to markets and demographics, uh, et cetera. We um, you know, we do. Uh, we have a very large public policy group in Washington D.C. And, and advocate on behalf of the industry on things like tax reform and, uh, and marketplace fairness, sales tax equity. Um, uh, infrastructure is a big, you know, issue for us and opportunity, I think, for our country and for our industry. Uh, we uh, are clearly have a big media operation, not just in. Uh, talking about what's happening in the industry and doing public relations we also have you know a whole portfolio of publications and magazines both digital you know both online and also in physical form and then we hold about 150 meetings uh, throughout the year so we're very well known for our large signature conferences like recon and like New York Dealmaking, which is you know a 12,000 person conference or Western conference in Los Angeles is about 6,000 similar-sized conferences in Texas and Florida, and then, you know, three to 5,000 in various other places around the country. But we also host, you know, smaller events uh, during the course of the year, one, to share kind of industry knowledge, best practices, you know, have industry leaders come up and talk about trends. Um, And so whether you're in open air, um, you know, participant we have an open air conference we have a law conference which we have about 2000 people go to we have an architects conference called center build where we have 2000 people come to and we talk about things that are very tactical to you know those types of subsectors of the industry and then we actually have very small you know much more like 200 you know 100 people events various times throughout the year just to allow people to get together and network in you know, a very kind of casual we might have a you know an hour presentation and then host kind of a you know, a cocktail reception or something of that nature, just so people could talk and network. And fundamentally, our value proposition as an organization—I mean, we is sharing information. You know, no doubt, um, uh, representing the industry and in those classic uh, things that you'd expect an industry organization to do. But we, you know, we do something more. You know, we help members network, and you know, retail real estate is very much a relationship business. You know, much more than any other form of commercial real estate. And, you know because you're really your your success is so intertwined with you know each other the landlord and the retailer and you want to have that you know, personal relationship and the brands are so front and center you know in an office building you don't know who the tenant is necessarily you just want to lease the space to a quality tenant here you want to curate your offerings and you want to make sure that the mix of offerings in a shopping center are appropriate and so you really have a mutuality of interest and so having that relationship is really important so we, you know, we focus on our core value proposition, really networking and providing opportunities for members to network uh, in all various forms. Well, as I said, those very small conferences all the way up to weekend.
0: Yeah, I was talking to a broker last night. He said when he was starting out, he used to have to make 120 calls in order to get one meeting. And, uh, and then he came to ICSC for the first time and he just went online and could just sign up to schedule meetings with certain people. He's like, what do you mean? I just have to, to appear, all the time. <laughs> and I can just come to these meetings. So it certainly has worked out great for him. Uh, but then also, you guys have a very large uh, legislative effort where you're yeah, public policy so,
1: reform. Yeah, we have a, a large uh, operation in Washington D.C. and, and also um, in state houses across you know the country. We have regional leaders in you know, the West, the South, uh, Northeast, and Central part of the U.S. And then. You know all in we probably have about 16, 17 people that focus on public policy um, and then leverage a lot of our members you know we you know we have relationships with Democrats Republicans all members of Congress uh, all across the political spectrum I think both, as well as you know mayors and governors around the country I think, you know, retail real estate is a is a sector that, generally speaking, people feel positive about. Um, you know, as because it really does contribute to society in a positive way. It generates a lot of jobs, a lot of sales, tax revenue to support cops and infrastructure, and fire and other public safety. And so, you know, generally, no matter where you are on the political spectrum, people have a understand the value proposition. And so. You know, generally we're well received and then we obviously, you know, want to want people to understand some of the things and complications that could impact their business.
0: Fantastic. And then I have a few I don't want to be respectful of your time because I know is is today the
1: busiest day of your year? The uh, Monday of well, March, like this, the, these these three, four days are the busiest days of the year. They're all they're all like the same. <laughs> just really busy, yeah. Pretty much back to back to back.
0: Sure. I was just you know, personally, wondering. Um, you used to be at Deloitte, um, yeah. One of the, you know, the top four firms, and I was just wondering, you know, why you decided to move from Deloitte to an organization like ICSC.
1: Well, you know, first of all, you know, they they recruited me and and uh, and uh, you know presented the opportunity to me. I saw, you know, when I had the conversations, I saw a couple of things. One, I saw an industry that was you know fundamentally important to. You know, economies—the you know, U.S. economy and economies around the world. I saw an industry that was kind of misunderstood a little bit. You know, of its importance. You know, I think people kind of take it for granted because we are so pervasive. When we drive by stores all the time, we just don't quite always get it uh, how significant and important it is. I saw an industry in the midst of change, um, and so I thought I—you know—I thought my experiences would, you know, align with their needs and give an opportunity to help, uh, an industry transition into a whole nother era because there are changes and trends taking place. Uh, and I thought my background could be helpful. So I thought it was, it was an exciting time to join the industry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great opportunity. What, what's the best part of your job?
1: Uh, I think the best part of my job is interacting with, you know, our members and, um, you know, our, our, this is an industry that really does care about the communities that it, you know, resides in and, and, uh, and operates in because it has to, right. I mean, that's, there's such a fundamentally integrated part in every community. Um, and so they really, they take a lot of pride in making sure that, um, you know, the developments that they build, the offerings that they provide are of highest quality. So I, I think interacting with the members for sure. There's a lot of creativity out there. Um, I think the other thing that I was surprised at in a a good way was just the level of, although they compete against each other and there's this fierce competition, there's also a level of, uh, you know, collegiality that exists in this industry because, you know, they realize that, you know, we all have to deal with these trends. We all have to deal with technology. We all have to deal with demographics. And so they, you know, try to talk about best practices and how to deal with them and, and they're not, uh, they do it in a very collegial way. And I, I, that was attractive to me. Um, I didn't expect it. I kind of knew that, but I didn't know to the extent of kind of the positive relationships that exist here.
0: Well, that was going to be my final question is what surprised you. So you jumped ahead to it. And I, I know that you have another meeting and another place to get to. And it's a big day for you and a big day for ICSC. And thank you for your time. Thank you. No information contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or other professional advice, and no professional relationship of any kind is created between you, the podcast host, the guests, or Clark Hill PLC. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and the guests, and not necessarily Clark Hill PLC.